0: Hey, welcome back to the TNBA podcast. Of course, this is the show where we believe building a small business is one of the best ways to create more freedom and flexibility in your life. We're talking about building a business from anywhere on the planet, building and scaling remote teams. Let's get stuck into it. Now, longtime listeners of the show are going to know that back in the day, search engine optimization or SEO was sort of the gateway internet skill set. For us, in our case, we really wanted to figure out how to rank our products number one on Google. And over the years, search engine optimization has gotten a lot more sophisticated, but also there's just a lot more search engines. There's a lot more ways nowadays that people discover products. I sometimes look back on these days, like this was really the ticket for me in our generation of how we could grow businesses from anywhere on the planet and not have to, say, rent a building on a main street of a busy town. So for me, it all kind of comes back to SEO. Sometimes I look back at those early days over a decade ago now as sort of like the Ice Age. It's like the Neolithic period of SEO. And and I I just read everything about SEO back in the day. Of course, we all read Matt Cutts's blog. We read Search Engine Land. We read Moz. Many of you will know these names, but frankly, I've been... Getting out of shape. So, I thought it would be cool to invite an insider onto the show from one of the most important and knowledgeable companies in the SEO space. Someone I see sort of following in the footsteps of those early knowledge pioneers, people that published information about how search engines work and really how you can put them to work in your business. So, today we're going to talk about a bunch of things like how you can practically do SEO in a small business. And interestingly to me, we're going to talk about some of the dark sides of SEO. Frankly, I've been to some SEO conferences, and I think there's some really dark elements to it. And we're going to touch on some of those things as well today. So today's guest is the chief marketing officer and product advisor for Ahrefs, Tim Solo. And I really wanted to have him on the show to get a sense for the lay of the land in SEO. And I got to address something head on because... When I saw the schedule today, I was like, oh man, this is a little weird because Ahrefs has also been an incredible supporter of the TMBA pod. They've sponsored before and they're sponsoring this month. They have a new product offering you can hear about in today's ad. But the reality is, is this is a happenstance. Tim and I have been going back and forth about doing this episode for a year now. If anybody who knows anything about Ahrefs and SEO knows that they're truly doing interesting things, and if you want to know about the industry you got to take a look at what they're doing. But I couldn't help. I had a curiosity about the company. So I had to ask Tim why Ahrefs chief executive, Dmitry, chief technical officer, Igor, and Tim himself all hail from Ukraine. What's going on there? (laughs) What special is happening in Ukraine?
1: Yeah, well... Both Dmitry and Igor, in terms of technology, they're super good. They're like best in class. That's because I think in Ukraine, first, we have a pretty decent mathematics, physics and programming education. We have nice education at schools. We have good education at university. And other than that, in Ukraine, we have a lot of grit, like passion, hustle. So simply, a lot of people in Ukraine are quite ambitious because they didn't have much when they were starting out and they want to like make a dent in the universe or whatever and they want to be the best at what they're doing. So I think this kind of has an impact on why quite a few like famous companies are coming from Ukraine.
0: Do you see yourself as part of that tradition of having a lot of grit?
1: Yeah, I think I do have a lot of grit. I try to work a lot. I don't know any Python or any programming. So this year I actually started learning Python because I, I feel like that I'm lacking behind those people who know some programming and can create like interesting scripts to automate their marketing tasks. So I've dedicated some of my time to doing it and I think no, not too many people would be so kind of passionate about self-education.
0: Can you describe what the Hrefs tool does?
1: If I would describe it in a few words, Ahrefs helps you understand what's going on with the websites of your competitors, where they get links, what kind of keywords they rank for. And based on that information, you can kind of create your own SEO strategy and figure out how to create a website that would get a ton of traffic from search. And what's unique about it? I feel there are two unique things. The first one is Pretty objective, and it is our data because like we have a super strong technical team. The founder of HRFs himself, he's a technical person, he's not a marketer. So the data part, the way we crawl the web to get data, the way we store the data, the way we create tools to help you tap into the data is like superior to like everything. So I feel this is the strongest point. And the second thing is that since I am a marketer and we have a marketing team we're basically users of our own product. So I feel that we can come up with awesome features and awesome use cases just based on what we need. It seems dumb, but like I see too many people who create like SaaS applications or products that they are not using themselves. And so they they have a constant challenge like of what to do next, what to release. They don't understand it. In our case, we have like bigger roadmap than we're able to take action on. What does crawling the web mean? Crawling the web means that we do kind of the same thing as Google. So if you want to put your question into Google and if you want them to give you some pages that have an answer to whatever you're searching for, it means they first have to find those pages. And to find those pages, they basically create robots, crawlers, that they give them a page. And like anyone who's familiar with the internet, they know that There are, like, billions of pages published online daily, so you have to, like, keep a track on all of that, and you also have to keep track of all the updated pages. So it's a ton of work of constantly crawling the web, recrawling the web, knowing what changed. And this is how Google works. This is how they give you uh, the most recent information for whatever you're searching for. And Hrefs we kind of mimic Google in that sense, because we give you information about, in the first place, about, Backlink. So if you put the website of your competitor into hrefs, you can see all the other websites that are linking to them. Can you talk about
0: the concept of a backlink and why it's important?
1: Uh, backlink is when a certain website has hypertext link to your website. So basically, you can click on a link on some other website and land on your website. It is important first and foremost because there should be a reason of why someone is linking to you. So for example, you have a podcast and if Tim Ferris has a link to your podcast, it means that your podcast is kind of endorsed by Tim Ferris, which makes it an awesome resource, right? So backlinks are important in that sense. They help Google in the first place understand how important the page or a website is based on who links to it. The
0: reason I ask is because when I was doing SEO, we're still doing SEO, of course, but when I was the guy doing it, <laughs> <laughs> I believe the tools that we were using at the time—and this is, you know, 2008, 2009—were really dependent on Yahoo selling their data to these tools. So Yahoo, which was a competitive search engine with Google, selling their data to these tools that were maybe like the early versions of what Ahrefs sort of is the dominant player now. And these tools then approximated from Yahoo's data more or less what Google's data looked like, but no one really knew. In other words, in 2008, the idea that somebody could mimic Google was insane. Like Yahoo couldn't even mimic Google. So my question to you is, what's changed in the past 10 years that allows you guys to crawl the web in a similar way that Google has?
1: This would be an amazing question to our ceo and founder dmitry because he's the the technical guy who like created the whole stuff but what i understood from my conversations with him is that technology went far ahead like everyone knows the moore's lore, right that the power of processors it uh, like doubles every 4 years something like that
0: yeah i think it's like between 1 and 2 years like basically processing speed either the cost gets in half or the speed gets doubled
1: yeah. And other than that, I think in the past 10 years, some kind of new and more efficient programming languages have emerged. So like a combination of these factors, like there's a nice quote that Dmitry once told me that uh, what Ahrefs, uh with our entire development department is doing today, in like 10 or 20 years from now, kids will be doing at school. What allows us to crawl the entire web today with like a, a relatively small team, because the entire Hrefs team is 45 people, probably even less than 45 people right now, is because the technology moved so far ahead compared to where it was 10 years ago.
0: Can you give us a sense for a little bit of the scale of the company right now, whether that's numbers, headcount, what does it look like from a revenue or customers, or what are the indicators you use to express the scale of HRFs?
1: Yeah, so the public information that we disclose openly is that we are less than 45 people in the headcount, and we're doing more than 40 million annual recurring revenue. This is like the scale of companies like Google, Facebook, etc., etc. We're not yet there, but we're going to get there quite soon.
0: And the VCs are banging down the door. Why won't you let them in?
1: Dmitry once told me that he probably gets two or three emails per week from different vcs he even stopped replying them because like they're so nagging but yeah he doesn't see a point in vcs because the team is small so we are 45 people we're doing 40 plus million in arr even with the amount of money that we invest into the actual technology because we have like tons of servers we have quite a few data partners who cost us an arm and a leg to buy data from monthly still the profit margin is quite huge. So Dmitry can reinvest a ton of funds back into growing the company. So like he doesn't see any reason like to get money from VCs because we have a lot of money of our own. So like why?
0: What would be a data partner? What, What sort of data would you need to buy instead of crawl or discover on your own?
1: Yeah, so the most famous data partner is Clickstream Data. There's a company, Jumpshot, and they're one of the biggest providers of Clickstream data. And what is Clickstream? This is basically where you install all sorts of free applications or browser plugins on your computer. And while they are free in doing like whatever you installed them to do, while you accept their terms of service, you also tell them that they can collect your kind of browsing information, anonymize it. And this this is super important because like they're not tracking you personally. They're just collecting anonymized data and then resell it to other companies. One of them is being Href. So to be more specific, what we buy from them. So just recently in our Keywords Explorer tool, we introduced keyword data for YouTube. So we actually show you what kind of searches people are making in YouTube and like with the approximate volume, monthly volume, how many times people search for something in YouTube with the keywords that people are putting into Google, you have AdWords. They have to give you keywords that people are searching for so that you could bid on them. But I don't believe they they give you that for YouTube. And we also introduced Amazon data. I don't think there's any, like Amazon is giving someone's API to show what people are searching from Amazon. So you can only get this from Clickstream. And this is freaking expensive.
0: So an API would be like the data that, Amazon would like willingly offer to their software partners essentially. Yeah. So you're saying that they have no incentive to do that. So these companies are going out and like basically getting that data proactively through whatever means possible. Yes, exactly. And then you're buying it and delivering it to a tool whose promise is basically we can help you rank for profitable key terms.
1: I could say it a bit more ambiguous. We buy the data from them, and then we build all sorts of useful tools on top of the data. Because the raw data, you have to know like some programming, some Python or whatever, how to get this data, how to work with it, how to process it. But we actually build tools on top of this data so that an average person, an average marketer would be able to get some nice insights from it that he wouldn't be able to get otherwise if he would be working with just a raw data stream.
0: Now, before we talk a little bit more about SEO and Ahrefs, I want to talk about you. Are you the average marketer?
1: I'd say, yes. Yeah, that I'm probably an average marketer. <laughs> I don't have any particular strengths in... I'm not an expert copywriter. My English is not even my first language, so there's a challenge even there. So, yeah, I'm probably the average marketer, which I think is good for our product because I know like what average marketers need. I worked at a few companies as an in-house SEO-slash-marketer.
0: What does an in-house SEO marketer do for a company? Because this is a job that you know really didn't exist 10 years ago, and now it's a legitimate career path for people coming out of university, or not even university nowadays, just, just starting working.
1: From my experience, which wasn't a good one, in-house SEO-slash-marketer in a company, does whatever their boss tells them to do. So you're limited <laughs> to the knowledge of marketing of your boss. So this is why I was like super happy to come to HREVs because Dmitry is a technical guy. He's not a marketing guy. So he had some raw idea of how marketing works, but not specific. So he just told me, Team, we need to grow the number of customers. We need to grow our revenue. Like that's it. Do it. He didn't like tell me you should like work on our conversion funnel. You should Run A-B tests, you should create selling copy for our landing pages, etc. 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 Basically, because when I joined, I wasn't even like as good at SEO as like very many of our customers. I tried to learn from the customers who knew SEO better than me, and I tried to then educate those customers that were lacking some knowledge compared to me. This is how our marketing works, so we try to learn from people who know more stuff than us. And then we teach that to people who know less and I think it works. People appreciate like all the knowledge that we're sharing on our blog and our YouTube channel.
0: So you've called obsessively tracking numbers and (laughs) conversions, you've called it the Kool-Aid of the startup community. Yeah. What do you mean by
1: that? When I just joined Ahrefs, it's the first SaaS company that I've joined. So naturally I started reading about SaaS marketing How to convert visitors into trials, how to convert trials into paying customers, how to do the perfect onboarding, how to create like email nurturing sequences, blah, 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 blah. There's a (laughs) ton of information and everything is framed like as it is super important. If you're not doing it, you're like missing out big time. When I joined, I think there were 15 or 17 people in the company overall, and I was a single marketer. So, I had to do a lot of stuff. I simply didn't have time to work on every marketing trick in the book. So I decided to do my best at each one of these tasks. So if I needed like email nurturing sequence, I would create like just three emails that I thought would make the most sense. And I didn't split test that with everything. As years went by, the business was still growing. Because I was simply trying to do my best at some of the things that were kind of essential for marketing Hrefs, and because the entire company was putting so much effort into the actual product. What I figured is no marketing beats great product. So if your product sucks, like you can attract some people to it, but they will eventually realize that the product is awful and they will go away as well as the other way around. Even if your marketing is not super good, even if you're not converting like as good as some of your other competitors, those people that get in, they like your product so much that they go and talk to their friends about it and they bring you more business. So even if you're losing in that funnel, if your product is great, you're still winning in terms of growth overall. In almost four years that I've been with Ahrefs, I simply figured that it's not worth for us to spend our time on all those like marketing tricks. While we can focus most of our efforts on building a great product, And educating people on what we have built, essentially.
0: Well, you've said most of our leads come from recommendations. That word of mouth is basically the biggest channel for you. Yeah. So as a marketer, how do you do your job if the really key thing is word of mouth and product quality?
1: Yeah, so that's the point. I'm not just the chief marketing officer, but I'm also product advisor. And to be honest... In the first, I think, maybe two years of HRFs, not as much today, but in the first two years, most of the new features and additions to the product were suggested either by myself or by our CEO and founder, Dmitry. So we were the two primary sources of features. Right now, as we have a little bigger team, anyone can suggest something interesting and we might decide that we want to add it. So I'm not as like, I'd say important for product development, but still, I have my fair share of influence on the product. So it's not that I'm a marketer, so there's a product team and they decide whatever they want to build and they build it. And then as a marketer, I go out and like promote whatever they have built. I don't think that marketing should work this way. Our entire marketing department should keep their hand on the pulse of the industry. So we need to understand what people are looking for, what people are doing, what use cases they want us to serve. And then... We tell that to the product team. Actually, our marketing department has a huge influence on the product, and it is very rare that product team would build something that wasn't confirmed with the marketing team that it makes sense. Do you
0: remember a moment when you sort of stumbled upon a feature? Could you tell us a story of like how you noticed that something needed to be added to the product or changed?
1: It happens all the time, so... For example, we have uh, we are using that nice tool called canny.io, C-A-N-N-I dot I-O. And it's basically a kind of public board where any one of your customers or even, I don't know, free users of your software can go and submit a feature request and then others will upvote it, they will discuss it. So we have a ton of feature requests there. Other than that, we simply have a Facebook community. So whenever we have an idea of the feature and the marketing and product team or like even some people within marketing team can't really agree that this feature would be beneficial, what we do is simply go to our Facebook group where we have almost 9000 people who are mostly our paying customers and we launch a poll like what do you think of this feature? Do you want us to add this or do you want us to add something else? And people start giving us their opinions But there's a next step which i always take whenever people ask us for specific features i ask them for use cases i will actually go and ask like what use cases do you see for this feature how is it useful how are you going to use it in your marketing in your seo and if people are able to give me meaningful replies if they will give me some nice use cases there's more motivation for us to build it and then what's interesting Once we need to kind of announce this feature and educate people that we have this feature and how to use it, I will use those actual use cases that I've learned from people who were requesting that feature from me. It happens all the time.
0: Today's show is sponsored by Ahrefs. For a lot of our listeners, Ahrefs is already your number one go-to tool for optimizing SEO search traffic results. And this year, they have dramatically improved their Keywords Explorer by rebuilding it from scratch using new technology. Ahrefs' new Keywords Explorer 3 gives users access to data not just from Google, but from nine more important search engines including YouTube, Amazon, and Bing. For SEOs and content marketers, that means you can really maximize exposure for your work or business. Pretty cool. Remember that hrefs is not just about backlinks. It's actually a full suite of SEO tools, kind of like a Swiss army knife of search engine optimization, something that you never want to be without. So whether you need to run a technical site audit, do competitor research, identify high-value keyword opportunities, hrefs is the tool you need, something I so wish I had back. In my days as an SEO, check them out at A H R E F S dot com. That's hrefs. And big thanks to hrefs for sponsoring the show. What's your view on what makes a good SEO?
1: My view is that SEO is mostly driven by what is it you have on your page that you want to rank in Google. I have an example. So if you Google for a tool, backlink checker, that should essentially check the backlinks to a page or to a website. So you want to know who links to a page or a website. Ahrefs right now ranks number one. And that's because for the search query backlink checker, we have built a free tool and we are an authority in the field of backlinks. So whenever people Google for backlink checker and the uh, first When we didn't have the tool, we were ranking number 7 or number 8, so we were at the bottom of page 1. But then when we created a free tool, people who googled for backlink checker, they saw that at position number 7 there's a free tool by Ahrefs, and they were naturally clicking it. And once they landed on the tool, they see that tool actually works, it shows them backlinks, it shows them information. So they were sticking with the tool and Google could see that. Google could see that people are clicking one of the lower search results and Google could see that people are actually staying on the page. And right now we're at position number one. And like all it took us to get there is to change the landing page. Like we have backlink checker at Hrefs, Go try us to the actual free tool. So what I'm trying to say is that a lot in SEO depends on what you have there. Is your page, is your website, is your content better than what's already there. Because all those other SEO tricks like where to get backlinks, how to make someone link to you, all they depend on how good your page is. If you write an article about, for example, about starting a podcast, there are tons of articles about starting a podcast. So what would make you the authority that people will listen to? And what will make your article better than all the articles what's already there? So if someone wants to rank for how to start a podcast, they should really ask themselves a question, like what would differentiate me from all the rest of the content that has been already published? I think that all those other like SEO tricks, they are secondary. So first you need to create something awesome, something that people will enjoy seeing, reading, using, and then you might want to learn some SEO tricks on how to get the most of it.
0: I think that can be really hard for entrepreneurs because when they think about content for their business, they're sort of thinking about their needs. Like that's the drive that's like, I need to sell my product. I need to let people know what I do. And often that can be a little bit different than creating the thing that people really, really want. Do
1: you see that tension? I don't see the tension at all. <laughs> so I think I first heard it from a guy named Derek Halpern. He used to run or maybe even runs a website called Social Triggers. I was listening maybe to a webinar with him or something, and someone was asking a question like, I'm afraid to be salesy, I'm afraid to sell my product within my articles or on my webinar. I'm afraid that people will think that I'm just trying to sell them and not give them value, but I I genuinely want to help them. And what he said is that if your product is good, and if you know that your product is good, if you know that your product will change the lives of people who use it for better, you're actually doing these people a disservice by not pitching them your product. That quote stuck with me pretty heavily. And right now, if you go to Href's blog, 95 plus percent of our articles, they actually feature different functionality of hrefs. So there's almost no article that was published on Href's blog that wouldn't feature some use case. So if you're looking to do keyword research and you Google for keyword research and you find our article about keyword research, it will be heavily based on our own keyword research tools. Not only will tell you like what is keyword research, how to research keywords, but we will also pitch, like include the use cases, how to do that within our tools and why our tools are the best choice for keyword research. I'm not afraid to do this, because like of how many emails I get with people saying thanks for teaching them to do that. And besides, we have like tens of thousands of customers who actually need some education about the product. Whatever topic we tackle, we try to include our own tools there and show how we are helpful and it works like super well for us. So I wouldn't be afraid of creating content that would pitch your business. If you genuinely think that your business, your product or your service is the best and it can improve people's lives, you should pitch it and people will be grateful to you
0: how do you think about like the rise of social media and walled gardens affecting SEO for business? It seems to me like more and more content that used to be on the open web is now going to Instagram and Facebook, Twitter. Does that
1: affect SEOs at all? I don't think I see any threat, I would say, to SEO. Like you mentioned, Instagram, Facebook, etc. I think those platforms have a super specific type of content that people expect to see there. For example, at HFS we have a blog where we publish mostly like how-to tutorials, which are screenshot heavy, which are heavy with examples, with use cases, etc. But then we also have Instagram account for HFS, And it's mostly sharing the faces behind HFS, so that whenever someone wants to see that our company is actually legit, we're not like some... <laughs> And it, this is fun. We're not some secretive operation from Ukraine, as Rand Fishkin called us in his book <laughs> *Lost and Founder*. So the book is actually great, but it was fun to read about HFS as secretive operation from Ukraine. <laughs> so I think the one of the reasons why we started our Instagram account, showing like everything that happens in our office, is because like Rand Fishkin called us secretive operation from Ukraine. So Rand
0: Fishkin is the founder of Moz.com and one of the primary sources of SEO content in the early days. Why do you think he called you that?
1: I don't know. It's probably maybe in the early days when hrfs just started and started kind of conquering market because of how good the product was. And there wasn't like good marketing to it. There was no one who would understand that having a nice looking team page, like showing the location of offices, showing some pictures from the office, some faces would add credibility. This is one of the marketing 101 kind of strategies. And I think this is uh, why when Ren, like back in the days, maybe four or five years ago, when he started digging, like, who are these guys from HFS? where do they come from? And he wasn't able to get any information. Maybe he thought that, like, the company was kind of secretive. It's better to ask this question to him. What
0: are some things that you know about SEO that are like misconceptions in the entrepreneurial world, like things that you keep hearing that maybe annoy you a little bit or make you frustrated that, hey, this isn't what SEO is all about?
1: <laughs> I think that's the kind of question where no matter what I would say, no matter what I don't believe in personally, there will be dozens of people who say they disagree with me and the thing actually works. I just say, here at Ahrefs, we believe in creating awesome content that people enjoy reading, that people enjoy sharing with each other, that people enjoy linking to and thus helping their own readers, the visitors of their own websites discover. And I believe that creating this kind of content is basically essential for that content to rank in Google. We see that time and time again. And uh, I put content above any SEO tricks. So that's just my opinion. And that is what works for us at Hrefs. And if anyone disagrees with that, they can just go to Hrefs, put Hrefs.com into Hrefs, and see the curvature of our search traffic and how it was growing in the past few years, which means it works for us, then this might be true. If that's true, then why would you need a tool like Hrefs? Because creating great content is just one side of the SEO trifecta, let's call it like this, or SEO triangle. So the other two sides is first, you should know what people are searching for and how many of people are searching for that. So, for example, if I have two topics, one topic is how to build links, And the other topic is how to do keyword research. And I have only resources to cover one of them. And I think many like entrepreneurs and solopreneurs are in this position. They don't have a lot of time. They don't have a lot of resources. So they have to pick and choose what's more effective. And by doing keyword research, you can figure out which of the topics can potentially bring you more search traffic. So this is what Ahrefs does. It helps you research what your target audience is searching for online and how much traffic you can expect. And in a similar way, you can simply plug the website of your competitor and see which pages are bringing them the most traffic. So you don't even have to do any keyword research in a sense of guessing, okay, so cat food. Do people Google for cat food or do more people Google for cat toys? Like which website should I start? But simply you, like, research, you plug a few websites about cats into Ahrefs and see what kind of traffic they get for which topics. And then goes creating great content. So first you need to know there's a search demand for that content, and then you should create it, because you can create the awesomest article in the world. But if that article is about what team ate today for breakfast, no one is searching in Google, like, what I ate today for breakfast. So no one will find it. it will, even in the article is great. The third piece of that trifactor is backlinks. So like we already discussed, Google has to figure out which page is the best one for whatever people are searching for. And quite often the pages are super similar so even human cannot really see like which of two articles about something is more valuable. So and Google is a machine so for them it is even harder to see like which of the articles is better. Google, their algorithm is based on votes, quote unquote, votes from other websites, which are backlinks. So, if your article has more backlinks from other websites than my article, it is a signal to Google that your article has more value and it should rank higher. So, first, you research what people are searching for to know, like, the search potential of each topic. Second, you create that awesome content that would be better than anything else. And third, you have to make other websites link to your content. There are also some quote-unquote strategies on how to do that. But again, it all comes down to your content being great. If your content is best in class, it's not so hard to persuade other websites to link to it if it's an awesome resource. But on the other hand, if your article is like mediocre, you would have a super hard time persuading even, I don't know, newbie bloggers to link to it. I think that that's quite self-explanatory.
0: Back when I was reading Matt Cutts's blog, like it was the Bible in 2008 or whatever, this was the stated aim of Google, to essentially get to a moment in time when there was no tips, there was no tricks, that it was all about getting the best stuff to the top. So what has changed over the years? Have we arrived at like, Matt Cutts' magical moment in time? What has evolved in SEO or what's changing now?
1: It's really hard to tell because the actual industry of SEO is about figuring <laughs> out what changed in Google and how to rank in Google. So no one knows for sure. If someone would know the kind of actual factors of how Google work, they would probably be like filthy rich. The only thing that I've, I've noticed personally is that, despite Google have denied it quite consistently, I think they are looking at the so-called engagement metrics. So if someone lands on your article from search and they stick there, they start reading the article or even they click on other links and dig deeper into your website, Google can kind of see this. In the same way that if someone clicks on your search result and then quickly closes the page and clicks on other search result and sticks there, this is kind of a signal to Google that your page wasn't as awesome. Another thing that I noticed, but I don't have any kind of statistical proof or even any actual case studies that it is the case, but what I've noticed is that when even a brand new page... So usually people say that it takes quite a while to to start ranking in Google and get search traffic. What I've noticed from my personal experience is that whenever some page on a certain topic starts getting a lot of traffic, Google will notice it. And I think one of the best evidences to this is their top stories box. So whenever something happens in the world, for example, if you search for Donald Trump, there's always top stories with like all the latest articles covering the most, I don't know, hilarious moments with Donald Trump or whatever. And I think Google is kind of using traffic and engagement metrics for that because a ton of stuff is being published about Donald Trump daily and Google is kind of algorithmically figuring out which are the most important stories to put on their front page for the keyword Donald Trump. So I believe they do track how much traffic pages get, and once a page, like, goes viral, gets a ton of traffic, they would put it on their front page, and from there they will also observe how people behave after clicking on the page. So I think these are the kind of things that Google is trying out. But again, at the end of the day, all that they are trying to do is give you the best search results for whatever you're searching for.
0: We have this business model that we talk about sometimes on the show called SWAS. It means software with a service. So, the way a SWAS business model would work is let's say I'm like just want to get started out with a service business. My new business, I want to quit my job, I want to be an entrepreneur. So, one approach would be instead of building software because you're just getting started, you go out and buy a piece of software like HREFs and then you provide it to clients applied as a service so in other words like hey like you run a million dollar e-commerce store your seo is really weak right now i've got a 99 nine dollar subscription to hrefs i'm willing to make all these deliverables or whatever for like a thousand dollars a month or like 1500 dollars a month and then you sort of have a portfolio of five to ten clients and that's how you make a living by doing SWAS. you deliver hrefs with the results have you seen people doing this what do you think of that
1: idea I know that a lot of people are doing this because many of our customers are actual SEO freelancers or they have their own agency who do SEO for clients and not SEO in-house. So like this is super popular and overall this is an amazing idea. So if you're working in-house in a company and you're working on something optimizing the email nurturing sequence, or be it building landing pages, or be it uh, improving the conversions of visitors into leads. And if you think that you're better at it than an average person, it might make sense to maybe leave your day job and start offering this service to a few companies at the same time. And actually, I think whenever people ask me, what would you do if you would like, leave HFs, I think I would totally start SWEAST. I would join the niche of content marketing agencies, so I see so many companies doing their content marketing and blogging wrong, I see so many companies publishing articles on their blogs without any strategy in mind. I look at these blogs, I open their blogs and I see that these people don't understand how to make money with their blogs and how to convert their readers into customers. So what I would do, I would actually use Ahrefs to help them build their blogging strategy, their content strategy that would actually bring them customers the way we have built it at Ahrefs. So yeah, I think the actual concept is amazing. And a lot of people are doing it. And this is one of probably one of the best ways to start your own business.
0: Why don't we give a, a quick for your future content marketing agency, <laughs> what would basically be the approach that? Most people that listen to this show have a blog that could be improved. So, how might we approach starting from zero to develop an effective content marketing strategy?
1: This is incredibly simple. I would actually be, in some sense, shy to charge money for it because of how this simple. But on the <laughs> other hand, so many companies are leaving tons of money on the table while not doing this. So, since I will be kind of quote unquote the savior. I would actually charge quite a lot for this. So the simple principles are, first, as we discussed, you have to know what people are searching for along the lines of your business. Your blog is not about traffic. It's about so-called qualified traffic. So I usually use the same example again and again and again, but I'm sure many people haven't heard it. So there's a, a company called HubSpot. This is one of the biggest brands in the marketing niche. They have CRM and some marketing software.
0: So customer relationship management software.
1: Yeah, so when I researched their blog, because they have one of the biggest blogs in the internet marketing space, I researched it with HREFS. of course. The articles that brings them the most traffic is how to make a GIF image. They get like 100,000 visitors per month to this article alone because of so many people around the world are looking to make a GIF image. But look at it this way. Your HubSpot you're selling CRM software, you're selling marketing software. What is the road that a person have to take from looking how to make a GIF image to buying your CRM software? Like, it's crazy. And this is is the mistake that I see too many people doing on their blogs. Either they write for anything under the sun that, that enters their head, or they will write for some popular topics that are not in any sense related to their product. So the next thing after you do keyword research and you identify some topics that have some nice traffic potential is you have to understand and you have to guess if your product is relevant to that article. Like I said, at HRFs blog, we don't really publish articles about things where we cannot plug Href's. So if you can plug your product, your service within an article, if you can show people who are reading your article how to solve that problem with the help of your product, This is what I call business potential of three. If you can mention your product, but it's not essential for solving your problem, so you can kind of solve this problem with or without my product, I call it business potential two. If you can only mention your product in passing, so this problem can be solved without my product, but you might actually want to look at my product because it solves kind of relevant issues, it's business potential of one. And if there's absolutely no way to plug your product into the article. It is business potential of zero. So here at HRFs, we only try to write about topics that have business potential of three or two. And we don't write about topics with business potential of zero and one. And the last thing is get backlinks. So once you have researched what people are searching for and you know that what they are searching for is highly relevant to your business, if you see that business potential is high, which means that whatever they're searching for, your product is the best thing to solve it. You have created that article and you have published it. Now you need to get some backlinks to that article so that it would rank in Google. And as we already discussed, if you do a good job with the article, if it is engaging, if it is unique, if it solves a problem in a way that no one else has solved it before, it would be quite easy for you to approach other websites in your niche, go to relevant communities, plug a link to your article and people will appreciate it and not consider you a spammer who's just dropping a link to a mediocre article everywhere. So once you do these three things, your blog will shine, you will start ranking in Google. Every next article that you publish will be bringing you passive traffic month after month after month. And this traffic will actually convert into customers because, like I just told, the business potential is high. Every article is pitching your product as a solution to what people were searching for. You should think of your articles as landing pages. People come to you with a problem and they are ready to listen to you. They want to read your pitch. So pitch them your solution. So that's it. This is how blogging and content marketing should work.
0: I love it. We've just laid out business model for people. Hey, one (laughs) of the things I wanted to ask you about, whenever I hang around with the SEO community, there's a couple different kinds of darknesses that exist in the community. We've been talking about this idea that like every small business on the planet can benefit from this knowledge and get more customers. Awesome. But then when I'm hanging around with just SEO people, there's two different sorts of darknesses. The first is the kind of up and down nature of being an SEO, that everything, if you're just purely an SEO, you're trying to take advantage of arbitrages in the marketplace. You're basically selling anything that comes along. And it's not really a business, but it's more like being a day trader. And there can be a little bit of darkness associated with that, like trying to ride the market. And then the second darkness is this idea of like people basically willing to sell anything so long as they feel that it's profitable. What do you think about that? Have you sensed those as well? Do you see that?
1: Yeah, I think there are three different, I'd say, areas of SEO. So one area of SEO is where I'm at with HRFs with our product. So SEO for people who are running a product business who have something interesting to sell and who want to get traffic from Google to whatever they're selling. All my advice up to this point perfectly fits this situation. The second situation is when you're doing a search for clients, which means that, like in my case, like I said, I have control over product. So I can create a superior product, and based on what we have within the product, I can create content, etc. 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 So like I have all the levers I need to create awesome website, awesome pages that would rank in Google. The second area is when you're doing client SEO. In this case, you're limited to SEO only. You cannot really tell your client, your product sucks. You need to add this and this, and only then I will be able to create those landing pages. And only then those landing pages will be able to rank. So a client usually wants a kind of hands-off job from SEO. So they like, here is my website, here are the pages that I have, bring me some SEO traffic to it. And this is why SEO industry is full of so-called PBNs, private blog networks. Is These are websites that are specifically created to make kind of artificial backlinks to the websites of your customers. Because SEOs find it challenging to work with bad websites, but those bad websites are willing to pay the money. So, SEO people are ready to use any trick that works to get SEO traffic to this website. So this is entirely different industry and within that industry, people are not so obsessed over creating awesome content and awesome product like we do at HFs. They are interested in whatever tricks and hacks they can apply to the websites of their clients as they are to make them rank better. And the final third area of SEO is when people launch websites of their own. Get traffic within different industries. For example, review websites, right? So, a lot of people are banking hard on creating review websites. Like, what's the best treadmill 2018? And, like, almost Google for anything best, there will be websites from SEO people ranking there. So, these won't be companies that, like, if I would do my own review website and consider it a company kind of of hrefs type, what I would do, I would actually buy or like find a way to get my hands on 10 different treadmills. I would test each of them like for a week and I would write like the actual review of like how those treadmills work, what is good about them, what is bad. I would show videos of myself. It will be real. But in case of those SEO people that are creating websites for any imaginable topic, they simply write reviews based on what people say on Amazon about those treadmills. And they put these pages up and they make it look as quality content and they build some links in all sorts of ways. They buy links from different websites. They use, again, any trick in the book to make it rank and they get a lot of money out of it.
0: It's one thing if it's treadmills, but it's another thing if it's like a medical condition, for example. Oh, yeah. And it seems like there's like a karma to it. So, like that darkness that I sense, it's not like these people that are making these websites are necessarily like, Laughing all the way to the bank, it seems like there's a lot of upheaval and circularity to it. So, like, if you make a deal with the devil, in other words, like you're going to try to rank for some like medical thing that you don't have and you don't know anything about.
1: I see karmic pain. I see karmic pain <laughs> amongst the third group. <laughs> to be honest, there are quite a few people who create legit websites. They might not have like a lot of experience in the topic that their website is about, but they kind of genuinely tried to do a good job at creating content and not harming anyone. But yeah, like you said, there are topics, very sensitive topics, because a lot of people are desperate whenever they have some kind of disease. And when they land on SEO type of website and not a type of website that is driven by real research, real like hospitals, they might actually simply lose their money and get themselves into even like worse position than they were. I'm only hoping that there are not too many people like that in this world and those SEOs will just abandon those topics or simply go to those educational facilities that do the actual good things and help them rank and help people to find the real solution to their problems.
0: Tim, we appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing over at Ahrefs. We hope to have you back someday in the future.
1: Thank you. I'll be glad. (laughs)
0: Big shout to Tim for stopping by the show. We are going to post the links and show notes to everything mentioned in this episode at tropicalmba.com slash Tim Solo. And this is spelled T-I-M-S-O-U-L-O. One of the things I recommend everybody do, go check out how Ahrefs does their marketing. Go look at their content pieces. And I think this is a template, an approach that any business could really leverage. And it's not that complex. And you could easily imagine how you could employ it right away in your business to get better leads and customers in the door in a magnetic content marketing way. So I really like the work that they're doing. And Go check out Href's uh fantastic piece of software, ubiquitous amongst content marketers and SEOs. So that's it for this week. Next week, Boss Ben and I are going to be back with an episode about our newest venture and some of the struggles that we're facing with it. If you're curious to know what we do on a day-to-day basis, next week is the episode for you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.